Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Good morning, Activate. Uh, nice to see you all. Do you guys remember the Forsyth, was it like the Forsyth show? What was that called? He would say, nice generation game. Who remembers the generation game? Yeah, all the old people put their hands up. That's right. And remember, he would come out and he would say, nice to see you. And then everyone would yell back, to see you, nice. What was the other one? He'd say, what's on the board? Miss Ford. I know. Uh, we, had, uh, we had Josh and Ioane come around to our house for dinner on Friday night. And they were talking about how they have been dating for four months. And uh, I looked at Liz and I said, man, yeah, woo, yeah, that's awesome. I looked at Liz and I said, hey, we started dating on the 1st of December in 2004. I said, that's like 16 years ago. And then Ioane says, I was four. (laughs) And I felt some very unchristian things. I was like, you know, get out of my house. They left. I was like, I have, I have literally never felt so old in my entire life than sitting across the table from somebody who goes, I was four. And then Josh goes, well, I was six. It's like, that's still not any better. Hey, uh, I was away last week. Did you guys miss me last week? Thank you for all the texts that I got, the letters, the flowers, the chocolates. We missed you, Josh. Uh, I don't, I don't think I got any. It's fine. I was at City Church, and they're a great church, and uh, Garth and Carol are great pastors. In fact, Garth is going to be speaking here uh, next Sunday. Uh, but as great as that church has been, I was standing there, and I was like, oh, I just so wish I was at Activate this morning, because this is such a cool church, such a cool group of people, and I, I generally missed you. And then I saw on a Facebook chat that a bunch of the young adults were having lunch in Hallswall, and so I made some lame excuse about needing to buy a bike, and I drove all the way across town just so I could pop in and say hello and feel like I'd connected with someone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Josh, and along with my wife, Liz, who's out with the kids and the team, uh, we lead here at Activate. And so if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for coming. It's our absolute privilege to have you. Uh, Last Sunday, we kicked into a brand new uh, message series on the armor of God. So in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is writing a letter to the church of Ephesus. And at the very end of the letter in chapter 6, he goes into quite a bit of detail about how to actually do uh, spiritual warfare. And what he does is he takes six different components, uh, pieces of armor that you would see on a Roman soldier of the day. So everyone that he was writing to would have known instantly what he was talking about. And then he kind of assigned spiritual characteristics or attributes to each of these pieces of armor. And so last Sunday, we looked at the belt of truth. Jared preached on the belt of truth and gave a really good word about the fact that the belt actually wraps right around you. If you know how belts work, they're not so good if you just put half of them on. They've got to go all the way around and click into place. And truth is not an abstract concept. It is not a collection of facts. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we put on the belt of truth, we are wrapping Jesus around us. And that's a very important piece to put on. But this morning, I'm going to be talking about uh, the breastplate of righteousness, which is, no offense to Jared, much cooler than the belt of truth. 
So if you've got your Bibles, you can jump into Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay. I have got you covered up on the screen. So Paul is writing. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, I just want to examine this verse uh, a little bit in more detail because actually uh, this verse is a foundational verse on which the rest of the passage is actually constructed. Uh, this verse is the, the foundational principle and precept that Paul then builds the rest of the story, the rest of the um, analogy onto. And if we don't understand how important this verse is, uh, then we can really come a cropper. So what we're going to do this morning, just very quickly before I talk about the breastplate, is we're going to get into the Greek. I love getting into the Greek. Who just loves opening up their Bible and just finding a concordance and reading all the Greek? Or am I just a nerd? Yeah, okay. I have a little wee app on my phone called eSword, which is beautiful. And every time I read my Bible, I will always read it, like just for fun, you know, but then I'll have a study guide and I will often look at each word. What does it mean in the Greek? Because sometimes the translators don't always get it exactly right. And this is, I think, one of those times. So that word, finally, which Paul starts his idea with, it actually means, it's a bit of a mistranslation because it actually means in the Greek, henceforth, as in from now on, in future. The idea that Paul is trying to communicate is, yeah, I've been talking about a whole bunch of stuff up until this point, but now I want to start this new idea. I just want to kind of wrap up my letter with this principle. Starting now, I want you guys to understand something. Beginning today. And then he says, be strong, which is not actually overly helpful advice. I don't know if you've ever run into someone who's experiencing a significant emotion. If you just tell them to be the opposite, they don't appreciate it. Have you noticed that? On Friday, I had to go and perform a wedding because I do weddings, a bit of a side gig, get a bit of extra pocket money. Uh, and so I had to go and do a wedding out in Rotherham, which is if you're driving out to Hemna, you turn right at the red post. You guys know the red post? It's a post and it's red. And you drive out there and you turn right and you go up to Rotherham. And it was actually about another 20 minutes through Rotherham, not all the way out to Wire. I kind of hung right. Anyway, Google Maps said it would take me an hour and a half to get there. Oh my gosh, the wedding was at 12.30. So I like to turn up to a wedding half an hour beforehand just to make sure everything's all good, that the groom's not freaking out, everything's under control. So I said, look, guys, I'll be there at 12. So I left home at 10.30. I got there at 12. The wedding's at 12.30. 12.30 comes around. No bride. Now, it's okay. I'm cool. Sometimes brides turn up late to their wedding. It's all right. One o'clock. No bride. Quarter past one. There's no bride. Half past one, no bride. Quarter to two, no bride. Two o'clock, no bride. I've been waiting for two hours. I've been waiting. The groom was also waiting. But he seemed to have a permanent glass of some sort of alcoholic beverage in his hand. And I was on soda water. And also he knew everybody. I didn't know no one. I'm going to make polite conversation. Anyway, she finally turns up just after 2 o'clock, and then we do the wedding, and then I go home. And I get home, I'm a little bit frustrated. My whole day's wasted. I left at 10.30. I got home after 4 o'clock. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I was going to do, that I had to do the next day. And Liz said to me, she goes, oh, how are you feeling? 
And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm not happy. Now, if she just said to me, hey, be happy, I would not have responded well to that. So when Paul says, hey, be strong, it's kind of like, dude, that's not overly helpful, really. Can you be a little bit more constructive? Be more constructive with your feedback. Um, <laughs> but that's actually not what he's saying. A better definition of the Greek word is actually become strong. What he's trying to communicate here, what he's actually saying is, I want you to go on a journey starting today from this point onwards where you start to build strength, increase strength, grow in strength, and I want this to be a, an ongoing process that you embrace. And I want you to grow in strength in the Lord and in his mighty power. And the Greek word that we read in here can just as easily be translated among or in the midst of or in the middle of. The idea is that whatever it is in reference to, which in this case is the power of God or the Lord and his mighty power, whatever it's in reference to is completely surrounding you. It is encompassing you. You are right in the middle of it and you can't even tell where you stop and it starts. So what Paul is actually saying here is, guys, starting from now, henceforth, moving forward, I want you to go on a journey of becoming strong, growing in strength, building your strength by surrounding yourself with the Lord and his mighty power. Which is why when the Passion Translators looked at it, and they looked at the Greek, they went, oh, I don't know if the NIV has quite got that right. And so the Passion Translation, based off the same Greek, reads like this. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. That is what Paul is actually saying. He's saying, guys, you need to understand that the strength that you have, he's about to start talking about how to do battle supernaturally, how to do battle in the spiritual realm. He says, you need to understand before we even start with that, that your strength comes supernaturally through an infusion between you and Jesus, this life union that you have. The picture that it kind of conjures up for me is almost like an umbilical cord connection, kind of. Uh, that this thing just happens through osmosis. And so before we move forward and we continue teaching on this for the next four or five weeks, we all have to understand and be on the same page that nothing that we're going to talk about will work or make any difference in your life if you're not doing this. Right? Everything comes down to your relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I love about what Paul's saying here is that there's like this infusion that takes place. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to force it. You don't have to go out and lift weights spiritually. Man, if you were just committed and spending time with him, there's this infusion that takes place. You don't even have to work hard at it. Does that make sense? Awesome. You guys give me good nods. So now that we've understand that, let's look at actually the breastplate of righteousness. So we continue on. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I just want to put this in context, uh, because sometimes it's easy to gloss over that, but this is an incredibly powerful statement made by a very powerful man. He says, guys, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He is writing these words in chains in prison. So as he's saying this, he has been accused falsely by flesh and blood, beaten by flesh and blood, attempted murder on him by flesh and blood, thrown into prison by flesh and blood, and now he is being held prisoner by flesh and blood. And in this context, he says, guys, people are not the enemy. 
Let me tell you something. If you've got an issue with a political leader, with some religious leader, with someone in your workplace, with a family member, whatever it might be, if they have flesh and blood, they are not the enemy. We need to take a chill pill sometimes. It's not, it's not, they are not the enemy. Every single person that you have ever had an issue with was created by God. Birthed into this planet with a plan and a purpose and he died on the cross for them. When you realize how important that person is to God, it's much, much harder to treat them like they're the bad guy. And so Paul says this, he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So my challenge to all of us is when you start getting stroppy, just check yourself before you wreck yourself. But this, this, oh, I'm getting pretty grumpy at Dan. I'll just channel Amanda for a second. No, I'm just joking. All right, they're not the enemy, all right? But, Paul says, we are in a battle. Let's not dodge that. We are a battle, uh, in a battle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's a lot of stuff that we're in a battle against. Therefore... Whenever you see the word therefore, right, you stop and you ask what it's there for. So because of this, because we're in this massive cosmic battle, you need to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, now I spent a lot of time researching this week, is that a specific day? I think it's probably Monday, if there is a day, no, I'm just joking. Is there a specific, like, is there like a date? Is there like one particular day? And every, every you know, commentator that I read said, look, it's just referring to any day. It's just like any time anything evil comes at you, then that's a particularly evil day. So it, this could happen anytime, anywhere, multiple times in your life, right? Like it's just, it's just life. It's not referring to a specific day. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground And after you have done everything to stand. And then he goes on to list the articles of armor. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And then he lists another uh, four pieces which we'll go through over the next three or four weeks. What I love about this, I just love the mental picture of Paul, you know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple of decades, sitting in a prison cell somewhere. And he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. I don't know what, what sort of parchment he's got or whether he's, what sort of writing utensil he would have used. Probably wouldn't have been a Bic or a 2B pencil. I don't know whether it was a fountain pen. I don't know what they used to write, like a piece of charcoal or something. But he's writing this letter and he's written all of this stuff. And the book of Ephesians is a great book, right? Great letter. And then he gets to the end and he goes, you know what? I want to write something about how to fight spiritually. And he comes up with this idea. He goes, I will, I'll list all the different pieces of armor that you might find on a Roman soldier. And then I'll ascribe spiritual characteristics or attributes to each one. And then what he's clearly done when you look at the text is he's tried very hard to look at the function of each piece of armor, what it does, what its purpose is, and then try and ascribe a spiritual characteristic that is most appropriate to that piece. So he says, okay, we've got a shield. Now, I was reading during the week a few different blogs, and apparently it was not uncommon if you were a very important prisoner, maybe even a political prisoner like Paul was, and they definitely didn't want you to escape, they would often chain you to a Roman soldier just to make sure you never 
escape. So there's, there's a chance, you can never prove it, but there's a chance that if you picture Paul sitting down, maybe his back's against like a stone wall, he's writing this letter, there's a chain around his ankle, it snakes across the cell, and there's a Roman guard sitting at the other side. And as he's writing these pieces of armour down, he's looking at this guy going, oh yeah, helmet, yeah, breastplate. I just like that image. And so he talks about the, the belt of truth, he talks about the shield, and he's obviously gone, okay, that's like faith. And then we come to the breastplate. And so he looks at the breastplate, which, I mean, you guys know what a breastplate is, right? If you've seen Gladiator or any of those, you know, Ben-Hur or Troy or those sort of old school movies, it is the piece that covers your chest. It goes from your neck down to your uh, waist. Interesting side note, I learned this week that it was very common for, in order to stop the full weight being carried on your shoulders, it would actually clip into your belt and the belt would take a lot of the weight which is quite a cool picture, right? So you've got this belt of truth. This truth actually carries a lot of the weight of the righteousness. Um, This covers a very important part of your body because it covers all of your internal organs, covers your lungs, covers your heart. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've seen quite a few like war movies and people can survive if their legs get cut off. You've seen that? People can survive if their arms get cut off. I've seen people walking around town without an arm. They're still alive. I've never seen anyone walking around town with this bit missing. <laughs> like, oh, there's a pair of shoes and a head on top. This whole torso's gone. Now, you can't survive a, a, a wound to that. And so the role of the breastplate, the job of the breastplate is to protect literally your, your life. In fact, when you look at the other pieces of armor, you've got shoes, not overly awesome, unless you're walking around like this the whole time, right? You've got a belt, again, not overly awesome. You've got a shield, you've got a sword. They're great, but you've got to pick those up, put those down. You've got a helmet which covers your head. If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, you'll know, don't take the helmet off. And as soon as you take that helmet off, so you've got to leave that on. But the breastplate is actually the main piece of armour. And if you were to go into war without a breastplate on, you would not last two minutes, especially when you look at the weapons of choice that the enemy uses. And so when we look at this passage, the Bible talks about fiery arrows or fiery darts, depending on your translation. That's it. You know, the enemy that we fight is very one-dimensional. He uses fiery darts. And the way that these fiery darts work is they come in the form of accusations. He will fire these darts into you. He'll say things like, you are not good enough. You do not belong in church. You're a bad mum. You are an incompetent man. You're a failure. Just firing, firing these darts. If people knew what you were really struggling with, they would be horrified. You can't tell anyone what your issues are. They'll judge you. They'll kick you out. They'll think less of you. He's just, this is what he does. He just fires dart after dart after dart. You are not good enough. And if you're not wearing this breastplate, those arrows sink in. They poison your spirit. They poison your heart. And they kill you spiritually. They kill your relationships. They kill your connection with God. They cut you off. But if you have a breastplate of righteousness on, then those arrows can't touch you. 
I'm not going to lie, I worked on my sound effects this week. <laughs> Is that, close your eyes, just imagine this. It's pretty good, right? You've got to have this breastplate of righteousness on. So the big question is, well, why did Paul pick righteousness? Out of all the breastplate of courage, you know, breastplate of strength, breastplate of whatever, he's gone righteousness. You know, when you look at the Greek, the word righteousness literally translates as, and I think I've mentioned this before, he or she, the state of him or her, who is as he was meant to be. Righteousness literally means that we have right standing with God. That we can stand in front of God completely righteous. Now when God created Adam and Eve, he created them righteous. He created them holy. He created them pure. He created them without sin. They were as they were meant to be in the Garden of Eden. You follow? And then Adam did a damn thing which stuffed it up for everybody, and we lost that right standing with God. We lost that righteousness, and we inherited sin, we inherited fallenness, we inherited brokenness and sickness, and we inherited impurity, and, and all of this stuff. And so mankind was messed up. And that's why when you read through the Old Testament, you see that the Jewish people are constantly having to follow all of these rules and regulations that God put in place. It is because God in His mercy is trying to, through different sacrificial elements and religious practices, you know, I guess accommodate the fact that they are no longer righteous. And so he's overlooking a lot of stuff and placing it on individual sacrifices. And then when Jesus came, he died on the cross. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me, for all of us. He took all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, and he killed it when it was nailed to the cross. And he restored to us right standing with God. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are someone that has accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made, then you have on a breastplate of righteousness. That's why Paul says that just as through one, the disobedience of the one man, which was Adam, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, which was Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then in Romans 3, he says righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I'll get the band to jump back up. We're going to wrap it up this morning. But You don't have to ever, ever, ever worry about the enemy saying you're not good enough. Just go, yeah, I am not. I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. It's not about that. Because the thing is, I'm not wearing my breastplate of righteousness. This is called the armor of God. If this chapter was called the armor of Dan, and it started off, you need to put on Dan's armor, then we would all understand it's not my armor. It's Dan's. It's going to be too tall for a lot of us. But it's Dan's armor. If it was called, hey, put on the full armor of Amy, then we would all understand it's Amy's armor. So when the Bible says put on the full armor of God, whose armor are we putting on? We're putting on God's. It's his breastplate of righteousness. Uh, and 
the one takeaway from this morning is very, very simple. It's super basic. You're not good enough. Welcome to the club of not being good enough. I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. Thank goodness we're not trying to fight battles wearing our own armor, our own breastplate, because it would look pretty tatty. But we're fighting using his righteousness. When the enemy says to you, you're not good enough, you say, it doesn't matter whether I'm good enough or not, because Jesus is. And it's through him that God sees me. Right? When the enemy says to you, you're not a good mom or you're not a good dad, these accusations come at you, you say, hey, look, maybe not. But with Jesus, supernaturally infused with my life union with Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The reason that Paul said, hey, this is the thing that covers your heart, that covers your whole, you know, essentially every part of your body that contributes to you living, is because this is the main thing. If you don't understand that it's through his sacrifice and his righteousness that we get to come to him, then it's like you're walking around without anything covering your heart. Does that make sense? Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? I think this is one of the things that if we could actually lay a hold of this and move it from an intellectual understanding to a heart conviction, uh, this would do more for our walk with Jesus, more for our life, more for, I would imagine, uh, our emotional health than so many other things. This idea that I don't have to earn God's love, I don't have to earn His acceptance, I don't have to come to Him, you know, carrying all of this rubbish, Listen, when He looks at you, I don't care what you've done, what you're involved in, what you're in the middle of right now, what you're struggling with. I don't care what your particular addiction might be. We like to rate addictions. Oh, this is worse than that. But I mean, it's all the same. Some people have shopping addictions and all sorts of things. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. When you accept Jesus into your life, when you accept the sacrifice that he made, you are white as snow. Aren't you, Pat? Pure, holy. And anytime any accusation comes at you, you just say, no. That's, doesn't matter. You can't, you can't get into me. I'm righteous, I'm holy. So what I want to do this morning, just as we sing this song, we're just going to open up the altar this morning. I'm not going to labor it. But I just want to give you an opportunity. You know, you'll often hear it said in church, the altar is where you come to get altered. That's a cute wee little saying. There is something, I've noticed this in my life, in my church experience. There is something about stepping out of your seat and moving forward that just unlocks and releases something. I can't explain this. But the number of times that someone has stood up the front and said, hey, come up the front if you just want to pray for those. So even, even if you don't want to pray, we just come up the front and worship up here. And this thing comes around me like, don't do it. Just stay where you are. And I guess my question is, why, why would the enemy be so fixated on you not coming up the front? It's because he knows that there's something that gets released when you obey what God is asking you to do. If you're a part of this church, you would have heard me say it many times, physical obedience brings spiritual release. 
one of the things that we are pushing into over the next four or five weeks is this idea, this concept that we are in a spiritual battle, that the supernatural is a real dimension, that the spiritual is a real thing. So many Christians are largely oblivious to this idea that there is a spiritual realm, that the enemy throws thoughts into your head. He tries to get you to believe this, believe that lie, believe this lie. So just as we sing this song, man, if there is anything this morning and God, God says, hey, I want you to just go up the front and just worship up the front, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And we may pray for you, we may not, depending on what God says to do. But let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every single person in this place. God, I thank you that you speak to every single person and every single person here has the ability to hear your voice. It's not a skill. It's not something that some people have and some people don't. It's not a gift. It is a birthright. Lord, every single person here can hear your voice. So Father, I pray you would speak to them in this space. You give them courage to step out if that's what you're asking them to do. And Lord, you take the truth of this word and plant it deep inside them, I pray. Amen.